Hello and welcome to Management for Startups. Management for Startups is about managing small businesses and organizations between 2 to 50 people. My name is Cedric. This podcast is never longer than 15 minutes, so let's get started. So today we're going to be talking about one-on-ones. Uh, one-on-ones are the final technique in the mini-series, uh, the bare minimum you need to know to be an adequate manager. And as I've mentioned uh, at the beginning of every episode for the last, like, I don't know, five, six episodes, um, this series is for those of you who are managers unwillingly in, in, in a startup uh, and you don't like it. You are a, uh, also an individual contributor because you came in as a designer or a marketer or a programmer. And then over time, the startup grew and you found yourself responsible for the output of other people's work. Uh, and congratulations, you're a manager. You don't really like it because you have to balance between management work and your tasks. And so these techniques are really the bare minimum to return a, you know, a level of, of sanity back to you uh, so that you can sort of get your management work done on time and done at a bare minimum of competence and effectiveness. And then you can spend the rest of your time getting good at whatever skill it is that you originally joined a startup for. So today we're going to be talking about one-on-ones and this episode is going to be, you know, the first of three. Uh, I'm going to, unlike previous techniques where I spend an episode per technique, um, we're going to be talking about one-on-ones uh, over three episodes. And the reason is one-on-ones are a very big, um, I know that from my experience when I describe one-on-ones, I know I'm asking a lot from you, right? You're, you're a manager, you're also an IC, and you have a lot of work on your plate. And one-on-ones just sounds like you know a lot of additional work for a very unclear amount of benefit. And I don't blame you, right? So we've talked about four techniques. We've talked about delegation. We've talked about training. And we've also talked about prioritization. And each of these are sort of things that you have to do anyway as a manager. But one-on-ones are, it's, you know, one-on-ones are not normal. They're not uh, the kind of thing that you would uh, see a manager or expect a normal manager outside uh, of the tech industry to do. And in fact, I think one-on-ones uh, have mostly spread in the tech industry uh, as the result of uh, Andy Grove, which was the, who was the CEO, chairman, I think, and CEO of, of Intel. And he wrote his, this really influential management book that I read uh, and that you know, I, I, I owe a lot to called uh, High Output Management. And sort of the ideas from High Output Management spread throughout Silicon Valley because uh, Grove was, such, was so well known as such a good operator and such a good CEO and such a, an incredible manager that his ideas uh, just spread because, you know, apart from the fact that it was really clearly explained, I mean, he, he was very clear on why they work and how they work, um, many of these techniques are also very, very effective. So one-on-ones are also like that. And what I hope to do with this episode is sort of convince you that it's worth trying out. And to do that, I'm going to tell you a bunch of stories. So the very first story is how I eventually started uh, stumbling upon one-on-ones, started doing one-on-ones in my practice. Some of you may know that I ran uh, the Vietnam office, uh, the Vietnam engineering office for a Singaporean company. Um, we started out as a consulting company that was five years old at the time when I joined. And we eventually pivoted and changed to become a product company that sold point of sale software. And the company has done really well. When I left, it was like uh, 4.5 million annual revenue. It's got a lot of bookings. Uh, and we built it up from basically zero, right? We, the pivot came in like, I think after the first year that I joined, so it was like two years worth of like incredibly hard work. Um, but there was the, the point where we switched from our consulting business to our product business was this series of, I think, four to five months that was incredibly painful. 
And at that point in time, I think people had been leaving the team because more uh, we were very demoralized because we didn't have a clear direction. It wasn't very easy to constantly look for new clients and to bring money in as a consulting company. And I, you know, I was desperate for more people. And I think I had at, at that point in time, I had been doing ad hoc sort of one-on-one meetings where I took them out to coffee to a nearby coffee house. And we sort of just talk about life and their work and their goals. But I remember very, very clearly this one incident where a particular subordinate of mine who I was fairly close to, you know, he told me that he wanted to leave the company and he wanted to leave the company in a crunch period where we couldn't afford to lose him since we were down to basically just, you know, five people and we were, you know, we were building the business from scratch. And not only had I not figured out hiring, but also we had no time to do hiring because we were so busy just delivering uh, clients uh, in this new business that we had just pivoted to. And so I was shocked, right? I totally did not expect him to want to leave the company. This took me, this was completely left field for me. And I, you know, I tried to get him to stay, but that didn't work. And I remember, I remember thinking to myself, right? Like if I had done uh, these uh, um, coffee shop meetings more consistently, I would have seen this coming. Because it was not like uh, I didn't know that he was not happy. I also it was not like I didn't know what his goals were in his life. I knew that uh, at most, uh, you know, the 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 current situation where he was at the company was not in line with his life goals over a ten year span. Um, but instead of sort of just keeping track of where, how he was feeling about this, I sort of let it lapse. I, I hadn't been doing, I think we were so busy that I didn't do the coffee shop chat for a couple of months and he left me and it just took me completely by surprise. And so I swore that I needed to do these one-on-one chats more consistently uh, because I didn't want to be taken by surprise. But also I thought that, you know, I needed to hold on to these people while we got over this hump of work. And the only way to do that that I knew was that if I sat down with them and got to know them at a deep level, their hopes, their dreams, their fears, uh, what they thought of the direction of the company and all, all, you know, these kinds of things and work with them on their career goals and to give them, you know, ask them like, oh, what do you want to work on? What do you want to learn next? And give that to them over the subsequent one, months, you know. I thought that that might allow them to stay, stay around longer, at least for, uh, at least until we sort of just sorted out the pivot um, and things settled down a bit. So that was how I started. And, you know, in many ways, uh, that shock, uh, that that event that shocked me with my subordinate leaving and me not expecting it really paved the way to a consistent and good practice of one-on-ones, even though it took like, I think it took like one and a half years before I figured it out. Um, I figured out the, the right format to work for both my industry, my company, and my personality. Um, and I, I'm happy to say, very proud to say that ever since then, uh, there has been no uh, unexpected uh, 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 departures from the company. Uh, or rather, if they departed from the company, if they left the company, I sort of had an inkling beforehand that, they would, they, it, that it would happen and that I could plan for it in, in some ways. So that was the first story. And I think what I want to sort of uh, emphasize here is that one-on-ones are this uh, they're the primary way you maintain your business relationship with your subordinates. In the original definition of one-on-ones uh, in, in high output management, Andy Grove described the one-on-ones as the formal way that a manager maintains his business relationship. 
Um, and that's sort of like an understated way of describing what a one-on-one is. But I think it's very true. And he also then continued to say that the primary goal of the one-on-one is information exchange. So as a manager, you, what you want to get out of the one-on-one is you want to get uh, unstructured information about things that might be problems or just, you know, getting to know them, getting to know your subordinates as people. And I don't mean to say that your job as a manager is to get information like in a status report. If you're doing a status report during your one-on-ones, you're doing it wrong because in the day-to-day execution of your business, uh, of your work, you should already have ways for knowing the status updates of various tasks and various projects, right? If you don't do that, then you're basically not doing your job as a manager. Instead, you should think of one-on-ones as an out-of-band, rich communication channel where you are you are sort of taking a step back from your day-on-day execution to see the trees instead of just the weeds in, you know, that you sort of just lose yourself in when you're working. And this is where you find out not only what your subordinate is like and what their hopes and dreams and fears are, but also to sort of just figure out if they're seeing things that you don't see, right? Like if they know that there is this problem that's coming up or they see that there is a potential political situation internally in the company, or maybe there is a problem with another teammate that just recently joined, right? This is the opportunity. I mean, only if you are stepping outside of day-to-day execution can you begin to probe and detect these problems, which may become full-blown emergencies like in a couple of weeks down the road. And I've said before, I think in our first episode, uh, I mentioned that one-on-ones are how you regain a level of sanity in your management work. Because if you can't see problems from happening, then you can't prevent them. If you can't prevent them, then you're basically going to sacrifice like maybe a couple of weeks of your time uh, in, in you know, incredibly unfortunate moments just doing firefighting. And it's horrible as a manager, right? Um, I think the best managers know that one-on-ones are their tool to detect unknowable or, or potential disasters and prevent them from happening. And under these good managers, uh, their subordinates, I mean, you sort of, if you're under a good manager, you don't see all this invisible work being done to prevent blow-ups from happening because you can't see the alternate, the alternate universes in which, you know, the manager didn't prevent these problems from happening and then the problems blow up anyway. And I will say uh, that personally speaking, uh, the really, I I think there is a clear link from me doing one-on-ones and doing it consistently to being able to eventually cut down overtime in the startup. Um, uh, I think within a year, we had managed to cut it down by over 50%. And when I left, uh, I cut it down to just one overtime period in a year. Um, I I do have one other story for you, and I think this sort of illustrates uh, what happens when you don't do one-on-ones consistently. And this story is, this was a fairly large project. We had to deliver this project for a client uh, roughly around the Chinese New Year. So in Singapore and Vietnam, there's this thing called the Lunar New Year or the Chinese New Year. This happens at the start of the year, around January or February. And in Singapore, the holiday was, I mean, the Chinese New Year is basically a two-day holiday, while in Vietnam, it is a one-week holiday. And what happened in this particular episode, I mean, this particular event, was that uh, the project was so big and so risky that I decided to sort of stop wearing my manager hat for a while and stop doing my one-on-ones for the two-month period because I thought it was there was so much work to be done that it would be better for me to just work as a programmer for the duration of that period. And I worked as a programmer day in, day out, very close with my team for two months. And at the end of it, right before the Chinese New Year holidays hit, I said, oh, you know, let's <laughs> let's do... 
a, a bunch of one-on-one meetings uh, because that will be a nice way to sort of welcome the holiday period that's coming up. And then I, disc- I discovered to my horror that there was a emergency, there was a problem that was about to hit. Um, it turned out that our deployment for this particular project, for this particular client, uh, would happen during the Vietnam holiday. You see, Chinese New Year in Singapore is just a two-day holiday, after which everybody goes back to work. But in Vietnam, people were off for a week. So the most senior engineer on this project, the one with the most contacts for the entire project, he was going to be off for a week. And in fact, he had extended his holiday because he was from Hanoi and he needed to go back to see his family because he only saw them once a year. And I was horrified because it meant that our deployment would happen without the one engineer who had total contacts and total knowledge of the project, right? Uh, It meant that if anything went wrong, uh, we wouldn't know how to fix it. We wouldn't know where to go looking or uh, how to, you know, uh, because nobody else was as familiar with the project as he was. So... What I had to do was I had to reorganize everybody. I had to pull other senior engineers out, you know, so that they could uh, gain contacts quickly in the remaining few days before the holiday started. And this was a horrible time for all of us. I think some of us stayed back in the office to work late for a couple of nights because uh, I put people off. And I also had to reduce the scope of the project. Like we I had to give up on some features. So the takeaway here is that I worked really closely on this project, right? I was a programmer on the front lines on this project. And still, I did not know that this was a potential blow-up until I did the one-on-ones. My takeaway is that whenever a manager does not do their one-on-ones regularly, maybe they skip it because they think that's not very important, ultimately, the manager and the team, through the manager, uh, is the person who pays. Why I've been telling you all these stories is because I want to convince you that management, uh, that you should try one-on-ones, that one-on-ones are valuable enough to attempt. And over the next episode, so next episode, I'm going to be talking about exactly what a one-on-one looks like and what the structure should be and what works for me. Uh, And I'm also going to give you a template for if you want to start doing a one-on-one in your company. But I think the more important episode, or rather like, oh, it's quite important. The next episode is still quite important. But the the episode after that will be where I break it down and explain to you that there really are only three kinds of one-on-ones that you experience when you start doing one-on-ones. And in my experience, um, the fear of the unknown usually prevents managers from starting to do one-on-ones. So if I explain that, hey, there's really only three kinds of one-on-ones that you experience when you start doing them, then this fear the unknown goes away a little bit and you will feel more inclined to start doing it. That's it for one-on-ones for this episode. Hopefully, I've sort of intrigued you and convinced you that one-on-ones are worth trying in your organization and I'll see you next week. Thank you very much. Cedric out.